I'm going to have your attention drawn back to Ephesians 6 this morning. Getting closer to the end of this epistle. I'd like to begin reading in verse 10 and we'll read down through verse 20, I believe, this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would give strength for our weakness this morning. Lord, bring light through your word. Lord, we are a hungry people. Lord, help us to never get over our hunger for righteousness, peace, the love of Christ, the provision that is given to us. Until that day when we all stand perfectly united in you, glorified. Lord, give us grace while we are still here, wanderers in this wilderness. Lord, be with your people in the world. Be with them as they meet today. Be with those who stand to minister. Be with those who hear. May our worship be acceptable to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I want to ask you this morning what we would think of a steward who has been placed in charge of a castle uh, while his master was away, who's been given everything that is needed for the defense of that which the master held to be precious and valuable. What would we think of that one if he left those things which were provided for an impending attack, those provisions made by the master before he left, what would we think of the one who kept those things in storage? He's warned of an evil day approaching when he must stand against the enemy of his master who would plunder his castle and left all that was provided for its defense in storage. Should we not think how miserable a steward is this man? How useless, how undeserving, how unbelieving is this steward? Yet what of the one who properly allocates the resources given by the master for the defense of this castle, who is armored and and watched and stood ready 
to stand against the enemy at a moment's notice. Well, here in our text, once again, in this epistle of Paul, we have the Holy Spirit moving in Paul to connect once again in verse 13. Connect what he is saying back to what he has previously stated. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul is saying since or in light of or because of the enemy that we have, it is therefore a matter of necessity that the Christian take up this armor. It is not a mere suggestion here that comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He has shown us who and what is arrayed against us in this battle and has shown us that we flesh and blood creatures do not battle against those who are like us. But we are to battle rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. It is for this reason that Paul has repeated his exhortation. In verse 11, he said, Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And here he repeats it once again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You see, it is imperative for us to understand that the soldier of Christ is most useful, most able to stand when he is weak in himself. That sounds like a contradiction, does it not? Sounds like a contradiction. Let me say that again. It is imperative for us to understand that the soldier of Christ is most useful, most effective, most able to stand when he is weak in himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he says in the next chapter, he again makes mention of his weakness in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, that is God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, Paul says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, why is this so important that we understand and we acknowledge that we who are flesh and blood are weak and unable to fight against those who are our opponents in this battle? Why does it please the Lord to have us see this and to understand this fact? Why? Listen again to what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast in my weaknesses. That's not one weakness. That's Paul taking all of his weaknesses together, plural. I will boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Don't you see? If I was facing a human enemy, a flesh and blood opponent, I might have a chance. I might win. I might land a blow or two. I'm getting older. I'm getting weaker. 
I've got some flesh and blood issues that I deal with. But I'd put up a fight. But this is not who we're fighting against. I don't fight against those who are like me. Our enemy is such that my fist cannot land a blow. My foot finds no place to kick. My knife cannot cut and my bullet cannot pierce this enemy. Our enemy is one that physical weapons, flesh and blood weapons, cannot kill, cannot wound, cannot bind. We are weak in this effort. We are unable to stand in ourselves. Therefore, Paul says, God has made provision for us in this fight. He's made provision for us to fight, to stand, to battle against this one that is not flesh and blood. He has given us weapons of war that are not flesh and blood weapons. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. This is God's provision for the weakness of man for such things. And because of this, it is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion to follow, but it's a command to be obeyed. A duty that is incumbent upon us. I won't shy away from the duties and obligations that Scripture lays at our feet. There are some who would ignore these things and say that grace lays no duty upon us. But grace, in fact, lays duties upon us which we are not able to perform except by more grace. This is the truth of Scripture. Grace lays many duties upon us that we are not able to perform except by the provision of more grace. There is no Christian duty, not a single one, that can be obeyed, but by the sovereign and providential gift of God's grace. Here in our text, we see it, don't we? Stand against this enemy. Battle this enemy. Fight this enemy. This is duty. This is not a suggestion to do this if we feel like it if we're, or if we're inclined to do it. This is your command from the God of heaven, from the creator of all things, through the apostle. This is your command to put on, to take up the whole armor of God. But I can't do these. Didn't you just tell me I'm weak? I can't do these things. I'm weak and unable. But don't you see, there is grace for this. Sovereign provision for this. Take up the armor of God. Take up the armor that He has provided, He has made, He has purposed, He has planned, He has provided for you. This is grace that has been given to you that you may do that which God has called you to do. Paul understood this in Colossians, in speaking of his ministry and some of the things that he endures. He says, for this I toil. So I work hard. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And here is the same provision that he tells us about here in Ephesians. Here is the provision. He tells us to fight, Christian. Fight, battle our enemy. 
stand against our enemy with his might, with his energy, with his provision, with his armor. Sovereign grace provided for the task at hand. It is in light of the enemy that we have and our inability as creatures to battle against this enemy that provision has been made. Now therefore, Paul says, take up the armor. Take it up. There is repetition in this passage. And here we find the first that we will take note of here. And we've already mentioned it this morning. Twice we are told to put on this armor. Here in our text from verse 13, I think it adds a little substance to what Paul earlier told us in verse 11. We briefly touched on these things previously, but I want to bring attention to them again just just for a moment. This armor, this grace given to us in the provision of, of this armor is not to take up part of the armor. It is wholly to be taken up, to be clothed in, to be suited up wholly, not partly. Paul does not say that we are to take up part of the armor, not this particular piece, and leave these behind. He's not saying, it's not as if he is saying, take up the belt of truth and go and stand against the enemy. He says, take it all that you may withstand. And he doesn't even exhort us to take the piece that suits us best or that we think is necessary or is the most impressive to adorn ourselves with. It's the whole armor of God. Lest we be caught without proper defense against our enemy. It would not do just to have the sword of the Spirit we might parry a few blows of our enemy with the sword of the Spirit. But our head, our feet, our legs, our arms, our chest would be open to the fiery darts that he would hurl at us. If not for the whole armor of God. No, Paul exhorts us to take it all up and leave no part behind. Well, what does it mean to take it up? What does it mean to take it up? Take up the whole armor of God. And we might say it means to lift it up, to maintain it, to carry it with you wherever you go. Leave no part of it behind. Always be clothed in it. It is said that things done in a hurry are seldom done well. Things done in a hurry are seldom done well. It does not bode well for the saint to have armor resting in the closet at home when the battle comes to him at work. It doesn't bode well for the Christian to have the armor in a closet in one part of the house when the battle comes in another. When the battle begins, if that's the case, the saint is unprepared and he must scramble to assemble the armor and to put it on as if he were trying to dress for battle when the battle begins. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, take it up. Always be arrayed for battle. It's my understanding that the tense of this passage is such that the action of taking up the armor, putting on the armor which God provides for us, the act of putting it on in the past gives rise to the action that we are commanded to take in the present. The putting on of the armor, the taking it up is to be done so that when the battle trumpet sounds, the saint is already wearing that which has been provided by our Lord for the battle. The action of putting it on, keeping it on. Can we not see when we've neglected this in our own lives at times? 
when we've been caught utterly unprepared for the assault of our enemy. For some reason, we have neglected to take up and keep on our armor. Has it not been our failure when the accuser comes and torments us over past sin that we have not been clothed in the armor of God which has been given to us? The belt of truth hasn't been fastened about our waist. We've not adorned the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Our shoes have not been prepared with the gospel of peace. Helmet of salvation may be left in the corner. Sword of the Spirit sitting in its sheath off in a corner somewhere. The tempter and the accuser comes with words of guilt and slander over past sins, and he claims that God cannot love us. We must not be one of his. Look at this sin that you committed in your life. And we have to scramble. And we have to scurry about to find consolation. And the armor that has been already provided that we should have been wearing to battle against these accusations. When all along we should have already taken up the whole armor of God and stood against our enemy. Romans 8, 33-39 is a wonderful passage. This is part of the armor of God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who, is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter, to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How foolish is it that we should be unprepared and unarmored when just prior to that, in Romans 8, 31 and 32, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all Thanks. He has given us this exact thing that Paul tells us about here in Ephesians 6, verse 13. This armor of God. To battle against, to fight against, to stand against the accusations of our enemy. Paul says to take it up. Take up this armor, not take it off where it is to be sought when needed, it is to be at hand, already in place, already on. Don't neglect this. Taking it up also means that we are to maintain it in a state of readiness and renewal. Often when the battle comes, our armor may take blows from our enemy. Or we may have foolishly laid it aside and has become dirty or rusty when there has not been constant use. Well, how is it that we maintain this armor then? Well, it's God's grace which provides for this as well. God has given us what many have called for a long time going back to probably the Puritans, have called the means of grace. We'll not spend a, a lot of time, but briefly mention these things, whereby our armor may be renewed and rightly fitted to us 
for preparation for battle. The means of grace are those ordinary ways in which God bestows His grace upon His people. Some of these are the Word of God, the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of God's Word. The singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Prayer, baptism, the Lord's Supper. It's interesting that as we note some of these things that we refer to as the means of grace, that most of them are to be done corporately, aren't they? To be done corporately together with the body of Christ. And even those things which may be done individually are magnified when done with other believers, with other members of the body. That's why we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we'll look at this a little bit more. But we're to encourage one another in these things. And by doing so, polishing the armor, fitting it together for battle, so that no area may be unprotected when the evil day comes. Let's think about this for a minute and how these things may be used. If the armor is in need of tending due to accusations of sin, for instance. Well, what are we to do? We're to repent of that sin and lay it at the feet of our glorious Savior. That's what we're to do. It may be that Satan has delivered a great blow and put before you some previously undiscovered sin that lies hidden in your heart. Well, what are you to do with that sin? You're to go at once and lay it with repentance before the Savior. Our enemy would have us to wallow and be miserable in that sin, bringing us to despair, to misery, to doubt, when the remedy is always before us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.17 John also says in that same chapter, two verses later, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Word of God is a means of grace. Maybe it's coldness or bitterness that has arisen from a hard battle and weariness from that battle or from neglecting these means of grace that we have mentioned. And once again, back to the Word, we are to go to find refreshment and nourishment for our soul. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, doing what? Reviving the soul. And we must mortify, put to death, all that causes us to have these periods of coldness and neglect and not live by the feelings of the flesh. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Live by the Spirit that is given to you. Live by that Spirit. Maybe the armor is grown dull by lack of use. Then meditate upon God's Word. Back to God's Word once again. Take delight in it. Hide it in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Psalm 119.11 When the armor provided for us has grown rusty from lack of use, this is a great time to surround yourself with other soldiers of Christ. To spur one another on to be ready to engage in battle. To lift up your voices together in song, in praise and adoration of our Savior. To talk and, and to, to share with one another what glorious things our Lord has done. To read His Word together. Praise Him together for salvation and for grace. 
and you'll find that the rust gathered on the armor just starts falling away. Hebrews 10, 22 through 25. We mentioned part of this earlier. But listen to these words. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Lift each other up. Push one another. Exhort one another to stand in the armor of God against all these attacks that come our way. This is an essential part of being armed in God's armor. What a great damage the professing church has done as of late in the assembling of ourselves together. They'll have you believe it's not necessary. That it's good if you can meet together, but it's not necessary. The Lord tells us not to forsake it. Therefore, it must be necessary. Well, and then Paul says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We don't know when, where, or in what manner this evil day may come. In one sense, I will tell you, Every day in which we live in a fallen world may be classified as an evil day. Every day that we live in a fallen world. One of the great follies of the professing church, a second folly we'll mention this morning, the first being that meeting together is not essential. A second folly today in the professing church is that they would declare that the life of those who would just accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, will be your best life now. Health, wealth, prosperity, success, honor, privilege, bliss, ease. This, my friends, is not the Christian life. There is no battle with the enemy for those who are in sin. There is no battle from the enemy for those who are in sin. There is no opposition from the enemy to those who already belong to him. It is at the moment of conversion that our enemy first takes notice of us. It is then that the enemy comes against us and opposes us. It is not then a life of ease. It is not a life of worldly peaceful bliss. It's a life of war. Christ makes his followers soldiers. And he arms them with the armor of God to be ready to do battle. Not to lay upon a bed of ease. But he promises to be with them. To arm them, to protect them. He has provided for them all that is needed for the evil or evil days when the assaults come. 
and he assures them of victory through him. We are not, though, promised ease in this world. Jesus told his disciples in Luke, Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Does that sound like a peaceful existence to you? Worldly peace and success? He said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Our peace is not in the world. Our peace is in the person and the, 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 the plan and the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ. It's in what the Savior provides for us. In Isaiah, Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. But He told them to fear not. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. The professing church of today, following a false gospel, would say there is no fire, there is no water. That's not what God's Word says. It says, despite those hardships, through those difficulties, I will be with you. We could look at many more passages which speak to this fact. That the Christian life is a life at war with the enemies of God. But we see in our text this morning that God has made provision for this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. I believe that what Paul most likely has in mind here by the evil day is a day in which a particular attack comes upon the Christian, a day of concerted pressure by the spiritual forces of evil, a day in which we come face to face with the roaring lion and the pride of his evil forces. Isn't that what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This may be a day when accusations come before you. This may be a day when an evil act of some sort is viewed or pointed at you, and the event itself is the cause of great sorrow that would cause distress to the mind, the body, or the will. I think we see some of these days in Scripture. 2 Samuel 11. Second Samuel 11, in the spring of the year, the times when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from, a roof, from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And what did David do? He sought to cover up the pregnancy. And then when he couldn't cover up the pregnancy, what did he do? He had Uriah the Hittite, the wife, the husband of Bathsheba killed. David was unprepared and unarmored for the evil day that was set before him. Very different than what we read in 1 Samuel of David. 1 Samuel 17. First Samuel 17, let's begin with verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of you. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Not able. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the, the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead body, bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Do you see the difference? In one instance, David is armored in the armor of God. In the other, he is in his flesh. We see Peter at times neglectful of this armor. Not picking on Peter, but Peter often rose to the front. And we have several instances where Peter did not do that which Peter should have done or acted in a way that Peter shouldn't have acted or thought in a way that Peter shouldn't have thought. We read earlier today in our Scripture reading from Matthew 16, we find in 21 through 23, from that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must 
go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This was imperative that this happened. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke our Lord and Savior. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And this right on the heels of the great affirmation that Peter made that you are the Christ the Son of the living God, and then turn to rebuke our Savior and say, this will never be. And then we read in Mark as well, won't take the time to read this for time's already running short. Peter was in a courtyard and was scared of a servant girl. When she said, Are, aren't you one of this man's followers? Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he denied that he was. And he denied, and he denied. And then we read, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. He wept. These things were done without being armored against the temptations and the accusations of our enemy. We see a far different Peter when he is clothed with armor in acts, preaching. Look to Christ. Just having denied him, now standing up before those same people and saying, this is the Son of God. And you crucified him. Turn to him. Do you see the difference? Well, brothers and sisters, we cannot escape these evil days that are set before us. We can't do it. Cannot avoid them. You might as well try and hold back the tide or hold back the setting sun than to avoid these evil days. They are ordained that we should meet with them. In the wisdom and the plan and the purpose and the providence of God, even these days are for our good. Something that's hard to come, come to terms with. But they are for our good. How can we say this? That these evil days are for our good? Because we've been given provision to withstand in these evil days. This is the purpose of of the armor that God has given us. That when this day comes, when these evil days come and our enemy assaults us and he casts his fiery darts at us, that we might withstand him clothed in this armor which God has provided for us. David said in Psalm 119, It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. That I might learn your word. I might learn your law. Well, as we start to draw this to a close, I, I hope you're not weary and growing weary of hearing this and asking why do you insist on telling us these things for the last few messages? Seems like you're kind of stuck there. And I would answer that when Scripture repeats something, 
you best pay attention to what Scripture repeats, especially when it's in close proximity. You best take heed to it. And here in the text of Ephesians 6, in four verses, there is this repeated idea of standing against our enemy. Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then in verse 14 that we've not gotten to yet, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. William Grinnell said this, We are bid to lift up our voice as a trumpet, and would you have us cease while the battle lasts, or sound a retreat when it should be a battle? My brothers and sisters, let us not ever grow weary of hearing this truth that we must be reliant upon this that God has given us to stand in the day of battle. This is what He has provided for us for our daily strength. And how much more has it been provided for us when that evil day comes? If we would survive, we must be clothed in the armor of God so that we might stand. He has given us this armor for that purpose, to stand. Stand against our enemy. Stand against his host. Stand against the world that is under his scheming plans His scheming plans to frustrate the very purposes of God. Stand against Him. We must take up our position against the enemy and to press Him in battle with all that the Lord has given us to fight and to defend, to engage, and to overcome the enemy. Christ the Lord, our King of kings, is building His church. He's uniting His body. Isn't this what Paul has been showing us here in Ephesians? He's given us life. He's made us alive. He's joined us together, a body which was once a bunch of dry, dead, scattered bones. And he's brought them together to make us an exceedingly great army. What is the purpose of this army? To lay back on a bed of ease? To be lax? To lounge around? Or to fight? We have an enemy who would engage us in battle, and we must fight. Psalm 144, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. We are a warring people of God. We are led by a conquering Savior. He has given us weak flesh and blood what is required to stand against an enemy that is not flesh and blood. He has given to us the armor of God that we might take it up and follow Him in His conquest. He has built his church and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. 
not by our might, not by our power, but by Him, His power, the armor that He has provided for us to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are they? In preparation for next time, what are they? They're not weapons of war like the flesh has. They're not what we see being used over in Israel right now. They're truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, God's word, prayer. We would be a very, very foolish people to have been given these things and given time to take them up, to put them on, to secure them, these, these pieces of armor about us, and then to use our time for our own leisure, our own pleasure, the pleasures of a vain and fallen world. Our time is not our own. We are His servants. We are His soldiers. And are to be given to doing that which He bids us. And He bids us to watch. To be sober. To be clothed in this armor that He's provided and to stand against our enemy. To be about His purpose. To be marching onward and upward. To be crying out to a lost and dying world to turn to Jesus Christ. When I... There's a few people I think about from history... When I think about things like these, you all know how much I admire a man named Robert Murray McShane. He was a man engaged in war. Engaged in war with his enemy. He didn't have long to do it. 29 years he had. But a lady once wrote to McShane to take a rest from his labors. You need a rest. You need, you need to just stop for a while. Lay aside your armor as it were and just rest. And he wrote back, my dear Mrs. T, you know how glad I would be of some such retreat as Elijah had by the brook of Cherith where I might learn more of my own heart and of my Bible and of my God where I might while away the summer hours in quiet meditation or talking of his righteousness all the day long. But it is only said of the dead in the Lord that they rest from their labors. And I fear I must not think of resting till then. Time is short, my time especially, and souls are precious. And I fear many are slumbering because I watch not with sufficient diligence, nor blow the trumpet with sufficient clearness. Here was a man arrayed for battle, prepared to battle the enemy who would steal away the souls of God's people. But God had provision. clothed in the armor to stand against him. Let's pray. God, help us. Strengthen us. Lord, make us wise in the word. Make us strong in the power of your might. 
Make us resilient against the enemy in your armor that you've provided for us. Lord, may we stand against our enemy, his schemes, his plans, his his accusations. May we stand in confidence against him in that which you've provided for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we do pray for more grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.